could just watch that all day. I, I mean, I, I did, actually. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I had to narrow it down to those few clips. But, you know, there's, there's and something interesting, and I feel very similar about those videos after watching them. I felt, gosh, you have, you have um, two different types of generations portrayed here, yet all of us find some kind of commonality in that. All of us find it to be entertaining and enjoyable, no matter, matter which generation they're from. But so many times, I think, in, in our lives, we experience things that are negative. And, and we, we, we kind of pit these two, things, these two things together that I feel ultimately don't build up, they don't bring together, they don't bridge any gaps, they don't provide community. And that's looking at the differences in our age. Oftentimes, I see generations continuing to either segregate themselves or be segregated by society. You know, it's interesting, I, and this is just me speaking, I, I, at a very early age in life, all I wanted to be was older. So from when I can remember being in junior high, wanting to be in high school, and high school, you walk into the camp, onto the campus, you want to be like those bearded men walking around called seniors wearing Letterman's jackets. All I wanted, all I wanted to be was 16 so I can drive, or 18 so I can be considered an adult, or 21 so I can be finally in the prime of my life. And then I noticed that that moved to 22, and then 25, and then 26, 27, 28, and I was like, I'm still in the prime. You know, I, I, I just, I felt that way up until I approached my 30s, and then I'm like, I'm old. And, and, and this is just me um, sharing with you how I felt. But the truth is that the op- opposite is also true. The older I get, the more I try to hold on to my youth. I fight the age of inevitability and, and, and mask the ailments and the struggles of not being able to do what I used to do. I try to dress a little bit younger, but not be that guy. And, you know, it's the, you know, it's, it's, it, you, I try to convince myself that I'm not that old and that I'm actually not that, you know, I look very young for my age. And I, and I tell myself these kinds of weird things and I talk to myself a lot. But then, then the, you know, I, 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 get, I feel complimented when people say things like, oh, yeah, you look good for your age. And I'm like, thank you, I think, you know. But, it, you know, it, it's, it, there's this focus and this emphasis that I, and that I claw and, cra- and grasp for in regards to youthfulness that's still left in me. And, and, and I feel like somehow I think it's going to be better if I try to hold on to that. And, and to me, when I think about it in those contexts, in that context, I, I, feel, I feel like it's ridiculous. And th- but yet there's no way of really avoiding navigating the struggles of me getting older. Growing up in American culture doesn't make that any easier, whether it's not being taken serious because of our age or it's being no longer considered relevant because of our age. We all have a struggle at some point and going to have to navigate this issue. And I feel like of all the isms that are out there, ageism touches every person everywhere. And at some point in our life, we were considered and maybe still considered too young. And at some point in our lives, we will have to learn to navigate the reality of being thought of as 
being too old. Ageism is really the last acceptable prejudice. Ashton Applewhite says that all prejudices rely on othering, seeing a group of people as other than ourselves. She says that the strange thing about the prejudice of ageism is that the other in this scenario is our future selves. Meaning that the, that the prejudice we hold against another because of their age is simply prejudice against the age that we used to be or the age we are going to be. And as someone who was once from uh, the youngest generation, there are these views that, that you hold towards other generations. And I feel the other generations hold towards you. I, um, I play racquetball in my, in my free time. And on one hand, this is very embarrassing to admit. And uh, because everyone has this preconceived idea of what, you know, a person playing racquetball. It's usually this guy right here. And on the other hand, I, I, there's this perception that the sport is for, or this game is for older people. And side note, if you ever want to get a game with me, I will gladly work you. Um, so, just saying. What the, 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 but here's the, difficult, here's the difficulty in my experience is that when I share this information, you can't, you can take that down, please. Um, you can't help but admit that, yes, there are a lot of older people who play and will destroy any person who thinks that youthful speed and agility is going to get you through. People make fun of me all the time about it, and they make fun of me about being old and playing an old person's sport. And However, on the other hand, I'm told constantly by those that I'm playing with that I'm too young to experience ailments, that I'm too young to have aches and pains, that I'm too young to have all this, like, oh, when I was your age and this and that. And, and so for me, it's a lose-lose situation. I just like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, to everyone's comment, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm not, too, not old enough, not young enough, okay, mm-hmm. So today, I am, I'm excited uh, to share with you this topic of ageism in American culture and hopes to speak hope and vitality back into our community and to some of you in this room who have had to endure this discrimination, who have also had to have given into this prejudice and have allowed to quench the fire that's deep within us. See, there's, there's no denying that there's an obvious obsession with, with youthfulness. I mean, there's no denying that. Just watch an advertisement or a commercial or television or movies and celebrities and so on. You can't turn one way without being bombarded with the message that young is better and superior than old. And we are saturated really in this culture that says that it's, it's, it's equal with that. From, from, from modifications to surgery to billboards to magazines, we're just bombarded with image image, image that portray pictures of the idea that its youthfulness is, is sexy and attractive and cool. And, and, and I think you look at any magazine and, or even video games and television and, and all the stuff, social media, Americans spend so much money on these advertisements to, 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 to get us to believe that we have to cling and, and reach and hold on to all that is youth. 
I mean, if I had a magical fountain of youth spray, matter of fact, I have this spray bottle here with me. If this was a magical fountain of youth spray, and I said, if I sprayed this on you and it would keep you young forever, you would probably, and you actually believe me, which seems like none of you would believe me. Uh, so, but if I were to spray this on you and it would hold everything together and you would just remain your youthful, your youthful person and you would probably go, I want some of that. Or you'd come up here and steal it from me. Like any, anything, you mean all I have to do is miss it? There's, there's no doubt that being young is fun and exciting. It's absolutely. There's nothing like being at the, at the peak of our physical strength or, or to feel a joy and energy because you're at the pinnacle of health and wellness. But it doesn't just remain there. And, it, and there is a season for everything. Have you ever wondered why we want this, why we want to be young and strong forever. You know, this is kind of unique to, to our society, to our culture. Uh, in, in other cultures, a, at the age, older age, maturity, they're all synonymous with wisdom, with power, with strength. People from other cultures who, who lift up older generations, they look to them not only as wise counsel, but they look to them for leadership, they look, for them, look to them for vitality. They look to them for, they're dependent upon them for sustenance, even though their physical strength may not be what it once was. And this isn't the norm for us. It's not the norm, at least for me, at least what I grew up in. In fact, the opposite is really true. And younger generations, not, not, and not just a millennial generation or the generation that's coming after that, Gen X, baby boomers, they, they're, they're, there are pockets and pieces of all those generations that do not honor and respect older generations in our society. They don't see them of people who not only have something to say, but, they, but that they bring value that no other generation can. So when a generation feels discarded, they feel dejected. And, and in turn, they end up believing the lie that no one wants to listen to what they have to say. And I'm here to say that this cannot be further from the truth. But just as there have been attempts to snuff out the voice of the older generation, the younger generation often feels the same way. They're, they're constantly listening to people refer to them as the future. Although that part may be true, it is also true that they are present-day leaders, that they are present-day shakers and movers, and they are often told that they have to earn their place to speak or wait their turn. They don't feel valued at times and often feel rejected and discounted as a generation that is self-absorbed or lazy or irresponsible. And as much as an older generation likes to place labels on them, they don't even accept that label. Of any generation there is today, the, the generation today, the most current one in regards to millennial generation, only 40%, according to Pew Research, actually accept the label of millennial because they don't identify with it. But other generations want to put everyone in a box. I mean, we all do. Everyone wants to. It's easier that way. I can explain the entire generation this way. And I feel like what we're doing is we're causing more harm, more problems, 
more discrimination, more prejudice begin to just be perpetuated in our society. And, and if some of us are going like, it's no big deal, well, that's, that's the way, that's, the, that's my point. We're, we're, we're so accept, it's the accepted ism of the day. It's so acceptable, acceptable to make fun of someone's youthfulness or how old they are. And I, I believe that if there's, if there's a place where it's going to stop, if there's a place that we can go back to and find some kind of truth, it's going to stop in God's Word, and it's going to stop in His church. As advocates for both opponents, uh, as advocates for both and an opponent of, of ageism in today's society, we, we need to really war against this perpetual discrimination because I believe it divides and segregates our society today. And in order for us to confront that, we must first understand what God's intention for humanity is. A super, super brief survey of the Bible will help us see the plan of God and how it unfolds in history through generations of faith. So I'm going to bounce around before I land in 1 Timothy, but I'm going to bounce around. Just follow me. The verses will be up on the screen. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, and I'm reading from the voice translation. It says, One day, the Eternal One, that's God, called out Abram. Abram, get up and go. Leave your country. Leave your relatives and your father's home and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will bless all those who bless you and further you in your journey, and I will trip up those who try to trip you along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you." God told Abram the promise was given to him was that through him and through his offspring that all the families of the earth would be blessed. So he takes Abram out of his comfort zone, leaves his family, and he says, I have a plan not just for you, but for generations. And not just the next generation, but every generation. And your call is to bless them. Every single one of them, people from your lineage are going to bless other generations. And Abram began this journey at 75 years old. Has the thought ever entered into your mind about what you can and can't do because of your age? Sure it has. Have you ever considered that it's not always an issue of ability, but more often an issue of the will. Are you willing? Are you willing to do something and not let your age say otherwise? You don't have to turn there, but most of us might be familiar with 1 Samuel chapter 17, where it records the history of David's unlikely defeat over the Philistine champion, Goliath. So David, who was considered to be young, uh, to be in battle, by Saul's standards, and physically incapable, incapable to even wear, wear a warrior's armor in battle. And although the age isn't precise, scholars believe that David could not be any older than the age of 16. What were you doing at 16? Or 15? Or 14? Or 13? Or 12? 
Do you think God was concerned about David's age? Well, hold on, wait a second. You're not of age. You can't be used. No, on the contrary. God will use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, no matter their age. So you think God is all concerned about that age? I think we'd all say with confidence, no. But how many of us have allowed age to determine someone's readiness? In the book of Acts, it says this in chapter 2, verse 39, for the promise of the Spirit is for you, but not just for you, for your children, for all people, even those considered outsiders and outcasts. Have you felt like an outsider or an outcast in regards to your age? It says, the Lord our God invites everyone to come to him. Both the gospel and the promise of the Holy Spirit are meant to go to multiple generations. It's not just one generation. It's, it's to you. It's to your children. It's for all people. And the scripture has a very clear mandate. Blessing is for all. The promise of the Spirit is for all. No matter the age, no matter the external qualification we try to place on others, the promise is for everyone. Okay, so let's, let's keep that in mind as we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And there I want to unpack a very familiar verse for us this morning and hopefully glean the truth of what God, God's word is for us today, for Grace Church, for you, for your family, for this generation. See, during Paul's fourth trip to uh, minister to the Roman world, he had instructed a man named Timothy to care for the church in Ephesus. And Timothy was a, a pretty young assistant, and he was spoken highly of by Paul. Paul considered Timothy as a true son of the faith. And, and these two spent so much time together, and there was about 40-year difference between the two of them. And Timothy held the position at the time in church that was not usually held by someone so young. And Paul and Timothy were part of two very different generations. But the advice that Paul imparts to Timothy is so crucial for us, I think, for here today. And it's, I think it's vital for our ministry here at Grace as we attempt to combat this ageist discrimination, but also extremely helpful in our approach to living a valued, spiritually and emotionally healthy life, the one that God values. So look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Don't let anyone belittle you because you are young. Instead, show the faithful, young and old, an example of how to live. Set the standard for how to talk, act, love, and be faithful and pure. The word belittle is the Greek word kataphroneo. It means to despise, scorn, and show it by active insult, disregard, and disrespect. The word is a formulation of two different words, kata meaning down, phroneo meaning inner thinking. It's this idea of inwardly thinking down of another person, that other. It's essentially a form of devaluing a person. And Paul is saying, do not let anyone devalue you because you are young. How many of you are young in this room? I don't care if you feel it or look it. It doesn't matter. 
You young, are you young in this room? Okay, cool. How many of you, or this passage here says to you, do not let anyone, do not let any person, no matter who they are or what their credentials are, devalue you because of your age. And if they do so, it literally says that it's unbiblical for them to do so and should never be part of the gospel of Jesus Christ nor the part of the church. But let me ask you another question. How many of you were young once? And how many of you were devalued or discriminated against just because of your age? As much as we wish this didn't happen to us, it did. And the only way that we can affect change is to make sure it ends with us. One of the most powerful things that you can do as someone who is older is value those in your life because they're young. You can literally be a part of the shift in our culture, the shift in paradigm that looks at those who are from a younger generation and speak absolute value, God's value into their heart and their soul. This is exactly what Paul is doing with Timothy. He's saying, son, don't allow anyone, don't allow anyone to devalue what God has placed inside of you and what he's called you to do. You have to do a work that he's called you to do so that you can fulfill it right now, not for the future, not one day, not for the next generation. Do it right now. Paul says you should be the example to everyone, young and old, of how to talk, how to act, and how to love faithfully and purely. So I want to look at those three things, how to act, how to love, or how to talk, how to act, and how to love. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good is for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Paul tells Timothy to be the example to the young and to be the example to the old in speech. See, one of the most devastating ways we can crush someone's spirit is devalue someone with our words. I spent many hours with people who have been in, on the receiving end of a word that was hateful, that was discriminatory, that was prejudiced, it was born out of anger, but I've also been able to use my words to speak value, truth, and identity into people, significance. The next part, Paul says, is to set the standard how to act. The word means behave or live in a, in a certain manner. He's saying to Timothy, live your life in such a way where young and old see it on display of what it means to value every person no matter their age. So when I first started off in ministry, I was working with students. And I had uh, different types of parents that I interacted with. And I had parents who liked me. And then I had parents who were not afraid to share their opinion about what I did. And then there were some parents who berated me. And then there were some parents who taught me how to really love students. I, I always think back to a, a certain mom who, who said to me, I'm paraphrasing, the best way that you can earn respect of these students is to really value them just as they are. 
and truly listen and respect what they have to say. Don't just say you value them. You need to show them. This is what they really want. This is what it means to treat them like a human being. And I'll never forget that, what she said to me that day, because I, I think about it every time I interact with my children. But this doesn't only apply to a younger generation. See, Paul isn't saying, Timothy, this is only for you. This is only because you're young. No, he's saying it because he wants every generation to understand this. Paul, speaking from an older generation, is imparting wisdom and knowledge to Timothy. But he's saying it's going to go beyond this. Listen, you're going to have to train and teach the exact same thing for your person that comes after you and after them and after them. But I want you to be able to do so in a way that the old and the young can hear this so that they know that it's not an, it's not an issue of ability, but it's an issue of the will and desire to want to create change and affect change in our culture. So he says, Paul also then he says that we are to set the standard to the young and the old of how to love. Have you ever used the phrase, let's show them some love? You know, that's like, that's a, that's a way for us to kind of usually say, you know, we give them applause or we, you know, we cheer maybe. And, but, but that's not really love, right? I mean, it's just, just like, it's like, hey, you know, it might brighten your spirit a little bit. If my wife came home and I was going to show her love, I, I couldn't just get the kids lined up. Let's just let's give her applause as she comes in. <laughs> Woo, you're the greatest. I mean, that might, that might create some change and maybe lift her spirits a little bit or look at us like we're crazy. That's probably more likely. But, but, but Paul has something to say about how we should love that I believe is, a real, is really the real standard of God's love towards us. You know, there's a, a passage that often, is often shared in weddings, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, usually around four, verse 4 to verse 7, but verse 1 through 3 is incredible. It says this, what if I speak in the most elegant languages of people or in the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well, then anything I say is like a clanging brass or a crash cymbal. Have you ever heard a crash cymbal? Yeah, sure, we heard it today. Have you only ever heard a crash cymbal banging away? It's not the greatest sound. It's a good accent but it, isn't, it doesn't feel good in the ears. What he's saying is that, look, you can speak however you want to speak, but if you're not doing it out of love, it's just the noise. Verse 2, what if I have gift of prophecy and blessed in knowledge and insight to all the mysteries? Or what if my faith is strong enough to scoop a mountain from its bedrock, yet I live my life without love? He said, if so, I'm nothing. Verse 3, I could give all that I have to to feed the poor. I could surrender my body and be burned as a martyr. Uh, but if I do not live my life in love, I gain nothing out of these selfless acts. So if we can tell the younger generation how they're valued with these eloquent and lofty words of praise, we can be so gifted in speaking blessing over older generations and honoring them with our words. We can spend all our resources on generations. But if something isn't breaking through the deepest prejudice in our own hearts, 
then we're not truly loving and valuing them. See, these words, these words that Paul is using, this is what he's trying to teach Timothy. This is what he's telling him to say, how he's trying to tell him to act and explain to him how he is to love the way that God loves him and the way that God has loved Paul all these years. God, he's saying, is a God of generations. He isn't closer to a specific or particular generation. He isn't more present with another. He draws near to those who draw near to him. He's present with those who seek his face. But this doesn't happen until something occurs to address every single ism that exists in this world and exists in our own heart. And that is truly coming before God and repenting from those prejudices. Repenting. Repenting from the ways we've discriminated. That means turning away. That means walking away from that and walking towards God in the ways in which we've discriminated someone because of their age, no matter how young they were or how old they are. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and they were sharing with me how often they're overlooked because of their age. How often they got jobs turned down or they sought somebody else. And I thought, we know that that's unjust. We know that, that there's an injustice going on there. We know that. But why is that so acceptable in our society? Why is that okay? Why, why is it okay to, to determine someone's readiness just because of their age? And I feel like, man, what have I done? What have I done to perpetuate that cycle? And what am I doing to help shift that belief? How am I living? How am I speaking? How am I, how am I acting? How am I loving? And I, I want every single person that comes into this place to know that that's not going to be a present issue. But when it so saturates and permeates our society, well, we're going to be very, very skeptical. Come into this place going, yeah, they're just, they're like everybody, every other church I've been to, like every other person I know. I expected it. No. No, the, the, the church is meant for everyone to come and draw near, those who want to draw near. Because we're all turning away from our old ways and trying to follow after God. Yes, it's messy. And yes, we're not perfect. But we're all trying. And we're saying, you're, you're welcome in here too. You belong in this place too. You're a valued person. And not just for the future, but for now. Like right now you're valued. And if I'm not speaking that into your life, then, then, then I'm not being, I'm not living out the gospel in which I read here. I'm not following God's example, Jesus' example, Paul's example, every person that I read across that are trying to impart wisdom and knowledge into our lives and create change and allowing the Spirit to work within us, that I'm not following it. And I have to come to a point 
where I acknowledge that. That is the most difficult part of our sin, is acknowledging it. And, I, and this week was so heavy for me because I had to keep looking, going. I was in denial saying, I don't do that. I don't do that at all. I, I, don't, I don't look at people that way. And, and, and when I keep running across this passage, and I keep thinking about our society and our culture, I've, not only have I have allowed it, I've even perpetuated it. There's a passage that I want to end with. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this over you. And I feel like there's a response here. Whenever we read passages from Scripture, I feel like God, God, is, God is using something here to help me acknowledge something in my life, but also to acknowledge some truth about who he is. It says this, Psalm 24. Who can possibly ascend the mountain of the eternal? Who can stand before him in sacred spaces? Only those whose hands have been washed and hearts made pure, men and women who are not given to lies or deception. The eternal will stand close to them with blessing and mercy at hand. And the God who redeems will right what has been wrong. These are the people who chase after him like Jacob. They look for the face of God. See, we remain in God's presence when our hands and our hearts have been washed and made pure. We don't make them pure, get them right before we come into God's place. No, God's presence. In God's presence, he makes those clean. In God's presence, he redeems those things, but he redeems them for someone who wants to turn to him. He washes that clean. He rights the wrongs in our society and in us first. You know, if we want to make change in this world, it has to be first it has to start in here. There has to be a renewing of our mind because that stuff will not change if those things aren't, aren't touching the truth of God's word. And God says, look, you want to be in my presence. You, you want to follow me and come back to me. Come home. Follow me. Our, our, our hope here today, like every other talk we're going to have in the next couple of weeks, is, is not to go, all right, got that one done. I repented. I'm good. No, see, the great thing about repentance is it's not a, it's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing because there's an enemy that's at war against you in your heart that wants nothing more than to you, for you to seek out false idols, to seek out some alternative narrative, to go a different way, to think less of yourself and to agree with the culture and society that devalues you because of your age. That's what the enemy wants. And in some ways, I have done nothing to help that. And I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. So if I don't want to be, then I have to be willing, God, to say, God, to say to God, 
I'm sorry. Forgive me, God, and would you just, just clean my hands and wash my heart? Because I know you can, and I know you will. And I, I believe that that's the response that will actually make change in this world. Can we stand? See, I said it before in the beginning that ageism touches every single person everywhere. It doesn't matter what age you are. It will affect you and will probably always affect you. But what if, what if we can start with changing us first and then maybe our church and then the community in hopes that God would start a revival and make greater change than we could ever be a part of. As we sing this song in worship, as we respond to these words, as we let these words wash over us, let, let, let them just sit, let them saturate, let them be a renewal of a sense of renewal for you and your life.